This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pob, and with me I have the Adepticon 40k champion, Mr. Matt Root. Hello. And the Adepticon 40k Custodes champion, Mr. Jeff in Control Robinson. Hello. Also way sexier than I am. Oh wow. I mean, uh, facts are I think, facts, ladies. I think uh, uh, brains are sexier than brawn. Personally. Ouch. Be a doctor someday. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> J- Jeff isn't exactly a dumb guy, but, you know. You're not exactly a brawny guy, Matt. No. No, I'm pretty sure Jeff could crush me with his thumb. Have you seen Jeff's thumb? He'd probably crush you with his pinky. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to give myself a little credit, but... <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, the reason why we're here is we're going to talk about Jeff's and Matt's performances at the Adepticon 40k Champions event that happened last weekend. Uh, A lot of people have been requesting it, specifically Jeff's list, because he did run a mostly Custodes list. It it was a Custodes list with about 1,500 points of Custodes, so it does classify as an Adeptus Custodes list, at least in my eyes. Uh, And, of course, (laughs) people have been asking about Matt Root, um, and I personally am very interested to hear some of Matt's takes on his games uh, because talking to Matt at Adepticon, there was just a lot of really interesting things that Matt said that were just very insightful about the state of 40k um, and specifically his performance and Flyerns. And uh, I think Flyerns are one of those beasts that in my opinion, they're they're more of a boogeyman than an actual scary thing that needs to get nerfed. Uh, But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Jeff, are you listening to this guy? You should do PR for me. He's like, yeah, he said some very insightful things, very intelligent, <laughs> very wise. Jeff, who is the master of custodes, like, this guy, you guys should be marketing, Petey. Well, that, that's what I do. That's that's, that's all true. I do. That's all fair. I do is I'm the hype man. Uh, so um, let's just go ahead and jump right into this. No pomp and circumstance. Uh, there are no tournaments coverage. There's no real announcements other than I'm back. I hope you guys liked last week's pirate episode. I personally found it to be hilarious and a really great episode. Uh, and Jeff also released a Necron Codex review on yeah. his webs on his channel on his YouTube channel. Let's go ahead and check that out if you guys want to listen to Jeff's take on Necrons. Um, hint: he doesn't play Necrons, so <laughs> there's true. that. That's true. Uh, yet, 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 yet. Uh, and while we're on the subject, real quick, Jeff, um, mm-hmm. out of the three codexes, because I, I guess the Dark Eldar Codex has been mostly. I guess half leaked, 
Um, uh, what do you think is the what do you think is a real big winner out of those three factions, Zeno's faction codexes? Uh, I mean, my my like complete sellout line that I actually do believe is that all the codexes have been pretty great. Um, there's been very few stinkers that have come out, but in in terms of the actual like clear winner for me. And I, it's kind of a shame because it, it got delayed in shipping, so I don't have it in my hands. But everything I've read about the Dark Eldar Codex is just so damn good across so, the board. I think so they're good. competitive. And I don't say this as like, I think they're going to be mega top tier number one army forever. But what I do mean is like, the fluff is phenomenal. The feel, the uniqueness of them is absolutely there. Uh, them being different from other codexes. Because there was a little while there where it kind of felt like, this is your minus one to hit faction. This is your this is your deny faction that has the the stratagem that denies a psychic power, and it kind of felt a little bit copy paste. Um, but the Dark Eldar Codex is so damn unique and so completely different that um, I'm envious because I don't play Dark Eldar. I don't really have any interest. I know that Frankie's obviously a big fan, but I think every Dark Eldar. If there's a Dark Eldar player out there that's like, you know what, not impressed. Fuck them. Get them out of here. They're stupid. Yeah, they're dumb. I get, like, yeah. I don't know what you're... Compl- I remember reading about, like, you know, the counter-stratagem stratagem, where, like, yeah. you spend three CP and someone can't do a stratagem. And I remember reading people online be like, this is dumb. I'm like, you what? are oh never allowed to talk wow. about 40k <laughs> ever again. You've lost all credit. Get out. You, you're done. That's it's, I mean, it's amazing. That stratagem alone makes them worth splashing in almost any Eldar army. Yeah. Uh, it's Eldar like the chrono stratagem for Tyranids, only better. Yes. Yeah. Nah. So, Dark Eldar um, definitely look like the strongest. I agree. They, they look like the strongest codex, and we haven't even seen the full codex yet. That's what's scary, is uh, we, we don't know what we're going to get ultimately from that codex. Um, but I, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, and do you think the Tau codex could have affected you guys at Adepticon if it had been released? Do you think Tau would have been a spoiler army, or do you think uh, the speculations on Tau are accurate and that they're just kind of still be gatekeepers did and... they kill Florence matt uh not efficiently enough <laughs> I, I i don't think the format was doing the like riptides and commanders any favors to be honest hmm. okay but do you disagree i think it would have had an impact i don't know that they would have been like the shark in the pool against Florence, but mm-hmm. crisis bombs the ability to kill a couple of Florence would be really good but of course the problem is what if your four ups just get hot and then all of a sudden they kill nothing or you're feeling pains? And then if like three flyers collapse in on, you know, whatever big uh, dick puncher comes down, then they're just in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I think uh, I think Tau would have given other lists a pretty big problem. Um, I, everyone's, of course, talking about like the, the fire warrior list where if Nick Nanavati would have faced 120 fire warriors. You know, it's a stupid list, hilarious. but at a, a Deathbicon where there's no terrain and. That short range shooting, like on a Dawn of War table or something like that. Yeah, okay. All of a sudden, Nick Nanavati, it's like, what's your name? And it's like, my name's J- James, and I'm a seven year old boy. And he just like tables Nick Nanavati, you know, like <laughs> it could have happened. I really want to see this happen now. That sounds yeah. amazing. Also, I'll, I'll, I'll revise my answer slightly. Uh, I don't mean to say that Tau couldn't have beaten Flyer and Spam because they absolutely could have. It's like you said, though, I don't see them as the shark in the water that would have yeah. totally counter spoiled. Flyrance. So, I I I will revise my answer in that respect. <laughs> All right. So so on the topic of Flyrance, uh, let's go ahead and just jump into um, our Adepticon performances. And um, I just want to get mine out of the way now. 
uh, because I know a lot of people don't know how I did, and I did you stay have to relatively. Tell a story, Pablo. <laughs> I I did stay relatively quiet um, throughout most of the Adepticon weekend. Oh, is this a uh, story I've heard about? Oh yeah, tell us. <laughs> oh no, that's that's already infamous. Uh, so uh, real quick, uh, I started I started the 40k champs. Um, and I actually uh, dropped myself r- after round one, and uh, the reason being is um, I played against a really nice guy, really intelligent player with a, a bit of an unorthodox, um, i.e. kind of casual Tyranid list. Like, I had like five Carnifexes, an old one-eye, a Maliceptor, one Flyerant, um, a more tame Tyranid list than what you would normally expect. Um, and I lost, and I normally don't actually let me preface this my opponent played really well and i normally do not like to blame dice for a loss and i don't think ultimately the dice i don't think i played a perfect game i I think i definitely could have improved in some areas of this game however this was by far the worst dice i've ever had in a game of 40k the worst luck I've ever had. I'm I'm a really lucky guy. I'm not. You got to tell him about Mally, man. That that'll yeah, describe so, the whole thing. Is so, it, so is it bad dice or amazing dice? For it was a, it was both. It, it was both. So just to give you guys an idea of what of how this game went, uh, the very first uh, real r- real important event that happened in this event uh, in this game was when uh, he double moved his Maliceptor up. So the the deployment zone was the corner deployments where you have an an 18-inch diameter circle of no man's land in the middle, and then two corner deployments. So we were already really close to each other. Um, if you don't know my list, I've already talked about my list, but I have three Custodes shield captains uh, in my list on jet bikes, um, and I had those three and Celestine lined up on the wall. They were ready to go. Uh, I, just in case he decided to come at me hard, I could move them back, ha- hang behind my, my guard line. Um, I could move them forward, maybe pick off a Carnifex or two and tie them up. I was just really confident in their ability to kill Carnifexes because they have, um, with the Victor of the Blood Games, a three-up rerollable invuln save. Um, they're really durable, T7. They're just, just. I was confident. I was confident. I had Celestine next to him. It was going to be great. Uh, so he mo- <laughs> double moves the Maliceptor up. Uh, and so within three inches of all three shield captains and Celestine and uses the Maliceptor's ability to do like essentially like a mortal wound to like six units within like six inches of the Maliceptor, some some weird rule in the psychic phase. And he did one mortal wound to each of my three shield captains, bringing them down to six wounds. That's very important. I'll explain why later. <laughs> and then he moved a Lictor, uh, moved a Lictor into my deployment zone. I left kind of a space where a Lictor could deep strike. And he charged the Lictor into my Thunderfire Cannon. I didn't really care too much about my Thunderfire Cannon. It would have been nice to shut down Carnifexes, but I didn't really feel like I needed it. So, And I also thought the Tech Marine would live. So he charges the Lictor into the Tech Marine. The Lictor kills the Tech Marine, which I was kind of bummed <laughs> by. And because of the heroic intervention rules, so it gets better. Because of the heroic intervention rules, I was able to 3-inch pile in into, or heroically intervene into his Maliceptor with my three shield captains and Celestine, which to me is like a free kill. I looked at its stats. It's got like four attacks. Um, it doesn't really do a whole lot. It's it's only T7. Uh, you know, its save is negligible, not really worth it. I figured I could kill it in two rounds of combat in, in his turn and then maybe at the top of my turn with Celestine. So I heroically intervened to it, which I've been told is the right move 99.9% of the time. <laughs> So this cheeky Maliceptor, he decides to swing into it first. Oh, and the reason why Jeff said Mally is um, he, he referred to his Maliceptor as she the entire time, and her name was Mally, uh, which, which I thought was very cute and very fun. Uh, so this Maliceptor with four attacks splits all of its attacks 
into my shield captain. So it puts one on one shield captain, one on the other, and two into my warlord. Uh, he hits with all of them, wounds with all of them. It's like, okay, that, that's pretty lucky. Uh, I roll, I fail all my invuln saves on every single one of them. I, I re-roll with the, the Victor of the Blood Games. I fail all the re-rolls. These are three-up invulns, and one has a four-up invuln, by the way, guys. And then I fail my command point re-roll on the second three-up invuln and failed that, too. So I have now failed eight saves on all of my shield <laughs> captains. He rolls damage, and this is when he tells me that they have D6 damage. And I'm like, oh, crap, this is really going to hurt. I'm, I'm, I might even lose my warlord. Uh, he proceeds to roll three sixes, one for each shield captain, uh, and he also rolled a four on the warlord as well. So he did ten damage to my warlord, six damage to my shield captain, six damage to the other shield captain, and killed all three in the first round of combat. Aced this is him. on his turn. That is the best. Killed him. I don't know what people are talking about fire and spam because it's all about mouse after mouse after mouse, baby. Jeez. Uh, it, it was uh, easily... Oh my god! I, anyways, so if you guys want to run the math on that, I, I don't, I didn't, I gave up. Um, <laughs> I'm not very good at math, uh, but but that was just the first event that happened. So th- this is also a game when I shot 44 scout biker shots into a 10 man gaunt squad and killed five. Uh, nice. I also charged Celestine into a flyrant. Flyrant uh, basically laughed at Celestine as she rolled a, more than three ones and then killed her. And then I failed my two up to bring her back. Um, with the command point reroll that I had been saving for her the entire game. Nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, the seraphim, the ser- one of the, one of the seraphim squads shooting into the flyrant did like nothing to it on four shots. I think didn't really even roll a hit. Like didn't even hit it. It was it was bad, guys. It was not it was not a pleasant uh, game for me, luck wise. Uh, so uh, I, I this is the time to reveal my new upcoming flyrant spam list. It's now it's just called Malice Scepter Malice Spam. Malice no, it's spam. it's seven Maliceptors. It kills on average twenty one custodian <laughs> uh, gu- gu- on Don Eagle jet bikes a turn. Yeah. it's really good. <laughs> and the bikes are or the Maliceptors for whatever reason they're super easy to get. No, no one bought them actually. That's no, right. I don't know why, man. The, they're they're, they're, they're hidden, dark horse they're secret sauce. <laughs> but um, so so guys, naturally, I do and I do apologize. I probably should have played all four games. Um, but I ended up walking around the convention because he, he, I conceded when Celestine failed to come back up. Uh, and I decided to walk around the convention because um, the game ended in like 30 minutes. So I walked around, met up with the GW guys who were running their Shadespire event. And as you guys know, GW has been really pushing Shadespire. And the guys who were running the Shadespire event were also the creators of the game of Shadespire. And also the head designers for the for rules designers for Shadespire. So I dropped myself from the Adepticon champs. And played Shadespire for the rest of the day. Uh, and then I played X-Wing for the rest of the weekend. So I didn't get much 40k in. So that's why you guys aren't going to hear much about my list. Um, was it the right call? I think so. I had a great time. Um, but that also means I don't have content for you guys. Which is why I brought Matt Root and Jeff Robinson in. To give you guys <laughs> their takes. Uh, so I don't know if um, I can beat the Maliceptor <laughs> that ruined Pablo's Adepticon weekend. That's going to was... live in infamy forever. Uh, anyways, um, moving on to, to Jeff and Matt. So, uh, let's talk about, um, your day ones a little bit, guys. Uh, I I believe you guys both went four and oh day one. Yep. No, no three one Jeff, but you lost, you lost later on than I did. Uh, I lost round three. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. He didn't play a Maliceptor. No, that's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so tell me about your, your, uh, day one, Jeff. Sure. Um, been to Adepticon a bunch. I really enjoy it, but I knew kind of what 
you get when you go into it. You get a really nice eclectic group of players, a lot of people from the middle of the country, some East Coast, very little West Coast, but some of those guys will make it over there. Um, and you just kind of, like I said, you know to expect little terrain, but um, they do a good job of kind of uh, every table's got something, I guess, because there are, and I, that's a weird thing to say, but some some tournaments you go to, you can actually get Planet Bowling Ball. Uh, it's less so in 8th edition, but it happens. But Adepticon's got the same kind of thing almost everywhere. Um, my first round was, and if this guy's potentially listening, I do apologize, but I, I hope you also realize this. Uh, he was he was the discharged fetus of a baby seal. Like uh, He was just there to have a good time. Um, he ran three land raiders that had two of them with like tack, black templar, space marine squads, the emperor's champion, um, and then a unit of terminators. And it was one of those kind of games where he was a really nice guy, but you know, he he actually came from England and was there to experience the place. And he's like, he's like, cheerio, mate. This is my first tournament. It's such a good pleasure to play you. And then Did I like talk surround- like that too. Just oh yeah, been practicing that That's all week. Awesome. He had a Harlequin that like watched our battle. He kind of set it up on this building and it was like, <laughs> Harley will be watching the battle. And I was like, oh okay, man, that's cool. And then I surrounded <laughs> the first um, the first land raider and blew it up with all the terminators inside. <laughs> and. It was one of those moments where, like, there was... Yeah, I felt like a dick. So, like, he's like, what happens then? And I was like, oh, sorry. So, like, everybody's dead. And he's like, can I fit my warlord there? And I looked at him like, yeah, dude, you you totally can. So, it was like, it was kind of one of those games. Sure, bud. Go go, go for it, dude. Yeah. And, like, in my typical fashion, too, like, it started off real slow. He's coming over, unpacking his army. And this is, you know, game one of Adepticon for Jeff. So he, so I'm like, hey, uh, you know, we, let's try to play faster. But then as the game unfolded, I'm not pushing him. I'm kind <laughs> of like, more like, oh, oh, my oh. bad. He's like, I'm going to shoot my last cannons into your bikes. And I'm like, you do it, man. Oh, you got one through. You know, it's kind of like oh, that. Oh, I accidentally spent a command point. Whoopsies, I failed that, Sam. I don't oh, know why I rerolled it. It's funny, though, because... I ran into the guy later, and he actually played. You know, he played the whole day, obviously, um, and he actually won a couple games, which is really cool. So, triple land raider, black templar uh, stuff. He had a, he had a single walking dreadnought out there, and a couple of scout units. Like it was, it was definitely one of those things that like people talk about. So, so for the audience, I try and be nice. Like I said, like I'm, it's kind of humorous for us to talk about, but but once I realized what was happening, I was definitely like, I I pulled off the gas a little bit. What's kind of funny about custodies. There's not really any other gear than the 11th fucking gear uh, with just like, <laughs> there's they're, they're just such fucking monsters that it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess uh, like an Overwatch, oh, look at that, six wounds. And he's like, well, I failed four of them. And I'm like, eh, all right. <laughs> uh, so anyways, next game, um, I went on to play, oh, that was game two. So yeah, I play this really nice, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember his name. He's one of the guys that runs uh, a pretty big tournament in the south, and he runs this beautiful Nurgle army. Um, and we had a really cool game, but I think, too, what's kind of interesting, I think Nurgle's really, really strong. But And, and Matt can talk about this with his list in particular with Adepticon. But Adepticon very much so emphasized killing, and Nurgle just does not kill very nope. much at all. Um, it doesn't get killed, and you certainly can put things in there that kill, but in relation to what other lists do... They just suffer that way. So for the whole game, I was just kind of racking up more points. He had two greater and clean ones, like 70 or 80 uh, Plague Bears, some Nurglings, um, 
I think a prince or two, but for the most part, it was just a slog of his stuff depleting and my stuff just still kind of being there. Uh, but he was a really nice guy. It was a good game, but I, I got max score. So two max scores. Then game three, I played Juice, who's a pretty famous Warhammer guy, and this is my first time playing against him. And he was running five Flarence, 12 Hiveguard, three Biovores, uh, one Neurothrope, some Termagants, and I believe a Malanthrope. But then the key part, and the only thing in his list that actually fucking murdered me, but it totally murdered me, was like 15 goddamn Myatic Spores or whatever. And they were just nice. floating around, shitting in grass and stuff like that. They were just like bumping up against the wall. Um, the but in this game. floating in the air. Yeah, they were just nut sacks floating around. And I, I know about him. I'm a Terran player as well, obviously, but I just kind of, for me, I roll a lot of ones, or they don't make it there, or if you have to charge, then they get Overwatch. So it's they're cool, but they're very much so like um, auxiliary as opposed to like a featured damage dealer type of thing. But in his game, the Hive Guard were a big problem. We got something like Hammer Anvil, some kind of deployment like that. So I had a wall to hide behind, but you know, against Hive Guard, there's not really that much hiding to be done. And it wasn't five, by the way. I think it was three. I think I'm, I'm mistaken. It was like three Flyrants or something. But uh, he has this big castle of Firebase. And basically, if there was anybody out there that, that loves Imperium stuff, you would have been so proud of me because it was the most blood-slicked hill uh, you've ever seen in your life. But I tried my goddamn best to get into that gun castle, and I did. <laughs> the Calexus was clawing his way in there. The the Eversur, all my, all my bikes were trying to get in there. And I did get on top of the hive guard, and and once you know any kind of uh, custodies gets on top of a hive guard, it's it's just like a little head bop, and they disappear. But by the end of the game, it was just too much. And hive tyrants are so durable; they're really, really, really durable. So his never yeah, really dealt of, that much damage. What kind of dick has like what kind of dick runs five of them? This is like bad for the game. Well, that's what I'm saying. Win at all costs, like players. Terrible, Jesus. <laughs> Maybe it was no. I think it was three, and he had like three mag maguses. Uh, that part of his list was kind of weird. Nice. But we had a really great game. Uh, Juice is a super, super nice guy. Um, my my play style is kind of funny, and it came out a little bit here. Like, I'm very... I talk through things, and I'll ask people, like... I ask people a lot of questions. Um, I'm a little bit of, like, a verbal contract kind of player, so if they're if they do something that I, I I'm not sure about, I'll ask them about it. But some people take that as, like... It's kind of that feeling of, like, when a cop pulls you over... And they're like, do you know how fast we were going? And I'm like, sorry, officer, I didn't think I was speeding. And the, and the cop immediately is like, you were speeding, you fucking, you you were speeding. I have, you know, like they get really defensive. <laughs> Juice did that a little bit because he was like ready for me to go to war with him on a couple of things. So I had to kind of, uh, I had to kind of calm him down and be like, Juice, listen, man, it's all right. We're going to have, you know, I, I talk my shit through. You talk your shit through. It's like, all right, brother, man. And he got way more nicer <laughs> after he was murdering me too. So it became a really nice game. You had to show a little leg for that cop. Maybe yep. take out the shirt. Like, All right, hey, my bus is out. Officer, yeah, I'm, officer, my tears officer. are slicking down my cleavage for sure. The oh, whole time. officer, I'm so sorry. I seem to be covered with oil and oh, I'm massaging myself. So, oh, goodness. Etc. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. Uh, so Juice beats me uh, in the end. It would just ended up being like I, I pulled up ahead early, but then the wheels fell off the wagon and he ends up killing everything because the Flyrons get to the guard soft underbelly and, and they just die. Uh, but I get seven points out of it. So it's like a... The, I, the the Adepticon missions were kind of interesting in the sense that like most of all my wins were forty, and then my my one my one loss on day one was seven points. But I saw a lot of that. Like when you're looking at the scores between everybody, there were some close games. There there it definitely is possible. 
but I felt like the missions were very polarizing and that you either got 40 or you got like nothing. Yeah, basically. Um, and then my last game of day one, I played against another Terran player. Um, and this guy had three Flyrants as well. Or you said five. I can't remember. There's so many Flyrants that I actually cannot remember how many <laughs> of these guys had. But then the rest of his list was really interesting and funny because it was one of the first times I've, I've played someone that's very good. But I had no fucking idea what they were thinking. Like in Warhammer, I play a crap ton. I read a crap ton. I watch. I listen. So very little catches me off guard. But this guy's list was 30 Termagants, 30 Hormagants, Swarm Lord, um, three uh, Sporocysts, the the infiltrating slash deep striking mine poopers. Mm -hmm. And then he had Death Leaper, which never actually came on the table. So he died. (laughs) Because uh, he just <laughs> forgot about it, <laughs> and then he had, um, I think it was three flyrants, and then a bunch of mines. But he gets turn one, and, or he gets, yeah, he gets the top of turn one, and I'm just, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is not what I expected in the, you know, two one game four high scoring kind of a doing okay round, and then he double moves the hormagons, double moves the termagons. And then Swarmlord double moves, and then there's, there's like 15,000 mines in my deployment. And he came like one advance roll away from blocking off the entire table so I couldn't bring my bikes in. Dang. And the whole time this was happening, I was like, Aah! I was like, slow it down! But <laughs> uh, he ended up, like I said, he missed that, so my bikes just squeak in. The kill power of the list is not very high. Um, it's more of just like area denial score. And then the Flyrens and Swarmlord do all the heavy lifting for the most part. Um, but because there wasn't that many Flyrens, and because my list is particularly good at clearing Chafe, uh, turn two, turn three, and so on and so forth, it it very quickly became clear that the game was out of his grasp. Mm. Uh, and that was my day one. Two Tyranids day one. That seems like a low number. Two. I feel like you should have played more than that. Well, it was like four out of my six games were Terranids. There you go. Yeah. That's better. That's way, that's way better. That's the way it should be. All right, Tyranids, man. How many Terranid Eldar. players did you play? Uh, one. Day two. one. Uh, only one on day one. I played ah. one on day two. Only one on day two? Yeah, just Nick? Day two. Yeah, just Nick. All right. So, so, so let's yeah. tell, tell us about the flyers. Tell us about the salty tears and the crush dreams. Uh, so I came into Adepticon 100% knowing that my list was absolute and total horseshit. No <laughs> questions, no doubts. I had sold my soul. This was not Warcon, which I took because I dearly loved it and I wanted the. I loved the way it played. This was, I know Adepticon's game, and you know what? I'll play it this time. Because uh, I've gone to Adepticon many times, and I know their missions, and I read, you know, did playtesting their missions, and I know their terrain. I was like, well, there's not going to be terrain, so I can't bring Hiveguard, because I was going to bring bugs no matter what. Yeah. And I love Swarmy, but he can't hide for a turn. Uh, let's see. I could bring Carnifexes, which I actually really like, but there's going to be nowhere for them to hide. So no line of sight block. I got a null deploy. Yeah, I'll just I'll just take a lot of deep strike, and so basically that's exactly what I did. I took the I basically took the what was a Caledonian Rising list guy, which was seven. I, I can't create. I'm not gonna claim that I was the creative genius who came up with this list. Uh, I read about it online. I was like, hey, that sounds good, and so I modified it slightly <laughs> for the Adepticon missions, and I ran it, and yeah. Uh, uh, so <laughs> so I came in with a null deploy list because uh, Dept, Deptcon's format favors that, and so. 
<laughs> my my games went one of two ways. Uh, half the games were the fuck is this shit? Which is basically people playing, being like, I don't. How do I? There's K, and the other half was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, there's there was one of those two things. Um, so my first game was a how the fuck do I deal with this kind of game, which was a guy who brought kind of a nice chaos soup list. It was actually a fairly competitive list. It had a fire raptor and it had obliterators, deep striking. It had some cultists. Um, you know, very various. You know, kind of. I don't remember the exact details of the list, but the guy was friendly. He just kind of was like. How the fuck do I kill seven Flyrants? Fire Raptor's good at killing one Flyrant, but you don't even put him on the board. The fuck is this? And so I, uh, you know, deep struck and null deployed against him. And then the poor Fire Raptor, apparently, even though it's flying, you know, 100 million miles in the air, Moloch's like, oh, I could eat you, and like ate a few wounds. And then it got shot and smited, and the Fire Raptor went down in flames. And the obliterators rolled like ones for their damages and like twos for their strengths. So they're like, you can, uh, we got a wound. <laughs> and, um, and the rest of the list kind of fell apart from there. It was a fun game, but he just didn't, uh, after the fire raptor fell apart and the obliterators had one shooting turn, he didn't have anything else really to deal with the rest of the list. Um, game two was very interesting. I actually played against Sean Naden. Who is the Ooh. captain of ETC? I remember that. Yeah, that was actually a really good game. Um, and he brought his tried and true uh, eccentric take on lists, which was an Eldar Yunari list with none of the stuff that people usually take in an Eldar Yunari list. It did not have Shining Spears. It did not have um, Dark Reapers, Reapers. Dark Reapers. It didn't have any of that. It had a million characters, include, including like Foygen and Magen Ra. Or no, no. It had Magan Ra, it had Eldrad, it had the Avatar of Kane, it had the Avatar of Yunid, and like two other characters or something like that, and then just a bunch of chaff, a bunch of, like he had uh, a bunch of guardians, and he had a lot of uh, Cabalite warriors, and oh, and he had a, um, he had, uh, what's her name, uh, Jane Zar, the, Bar- the Harlequin uh, okay. Exarch, yeah, like just, just a bunch of characters with a lot well, of chaff. Yeah, yep, how, yep. And so basically he the way the list worked, which was it worked very well for him, is this very aggressive list, you know, chaff explodes and shoots and then like characters come in and murder your face. Um and I actually ended up deploying all my flyrants on the board, knowing that most of his killing was in uh close combat, not in shooting. And he deep struck um his guardians, did a bunch of shooting and stuff, and basically what it came down to is could his avatars beat the shit out of my hive tyrants and in this case no they couldn't uh they tried and invuls were had and then they were like fuck and exploded um and after that jane's i was like ah, i'm really good at wounding up fives and invuls I've... and didn't work um so <laughs> uh ended up getting max points on that which actually brings up a fair point that i think jeff actually typed on a little bit the adepticon missions are not good at representing how close a game was um the way it worked is you both started with 20 points and you got a bunch of points throughout the game like up to 60 points or something like that like 30 points for objectives and like 20 points for like killing your opponent's army and like 10 points for a bunch of random tertiaries that you uh, chose and so the different uh, the amount that you earned was compared to how much your opponent earned and the differential so if i got 40 points and my opponent got 20 points. There's a difference of 20 there. 
So I added 20 to my base score of 20, and my opponent subtracts 20 from his base score of 20, so it ends up 40-0. So it's actually very easy to get max points or minimum points because out of 60 points, it's not hard to get a 20-point difference between you and your opponent, mm -hmm. which is just, you know, that's how it's not ITC. In ITC, it's very, very difficult, I think, to get maximum points. You have to do the mission perfectly. Your opponent has to be alive at the end of the game. You have to control, like, almost every objective on the board. You can't just table your opponent, that sort of stuff. Um, and even if, even if you did get max points in ITC, your opponent still gets points for the stuff that they did. With the differential system that Depcon had, that didn't really work out that way, which is why getting a 40 and an O is not really terribly representative um, and why getting seven points in that one game that you talked about, Jeff, with a loss is actually mm -hmm. a really big deal. Um, so despite the fact that it was a really close game with Sean and it went really well, uh, I ended up uh, I ended up getting 40 for that. And then in game three, I played, uh, who did I, play? I played a really friendly chap from Canada. I cannot remember his name. But he brought your tried and true Yunari list. This has got Dark Reapers. It's got Shining Spears. Um, it has, you know, uh, the Cat Lady Chick. All this stuff. And he truly had no idea what to do against my list. Um, he actually made a mistake where he... It was uh, Hammer and Ammo deployment. And he screened, but he went first. And he moved up and left a nice little bubble of deep striking over near his Dark Reapers on uh. turn one, and so I deep struck and shot the crap out of his Reapers with a bunch of Flyerants, and from there he just couldn't pull his way out of the hole that he had dug himself into. Very friendly guy, um, and you know, it was a really solid list. He just, it was one of those situations where how do you deal with seven Flyerants? And he didn't screen properly, so I ended up getting in his back lines very quickly. But I feel like your list is made to eat that kind of list anyways. Like, oh, yeah. It's, that's what it yeah, absolutely. came out for. Yeah, seven Flyerants is a really good list for taking on uh, Eldar. Um, it was, I think it's like, like you said, I think it was literally built to counter Eldar. Um, fourth game was actually almost a mirror list. It was seven Flyerants. Um, he had a Malanthrope. He had two of his Flyerants. Flyerants were the double shooty of Flyerants with 24 shots. Um, whereas, and the rest of them were, uh, Monstrous Rending Claws and, uh, two Devourers. I ran all of mine as Devourers and Monstrous Rending Claws. So we had a little bit different equipped on the... Um, Flyerance, he had, I think, just two Molochs, and he had Rippers. Um, and so what he did is he actually destruck in a ball around his Malanthrope, um, so that all of his Flyerance were minus one to be shot. Whereas I was more of a more aggressive um, list that kind of uh, was trying to get up and face an Assault, because all of my Flyerance are scary in Assault. Um, I ended up going first, which allowed me to get board control, um, and shoot a bunch of rippers off the board. And he had to counter deploy um, by deep striking his flyerants around the Malanthrope. Um, flyerants are great at shooting things to death, but they're not good at shooting other flyerants. No. They're only strength six. And you're trying to wound something that's T7. So with 12 shots, AP dash, one damage each, you're trying to wound on fives. Flyerants kind of just kind of piddle each other with bullets in the air and don't really do much. What about in close combat? In close combat, that's very different. Um, it kind of comes down to who makes saves. Um, but I had seven flyers that are scary in close combat that have toxin sacks. And toxin sacks, um, you know, an extra wound on a thing that rerolls to wound um, on a six actually makes a big difference. And he has just five that are close combat without the toxin sacks. And so in a pure numbers game, I end up having the advantage there. Um, so basically what happened is... Uh, turn one, he deep strikes, shoots me down. 
shoots it like a flyerant. Then all of our flyerants charge into each other, and it looks like just a mass of wings, a ball of wings that's kind of just hopping around the table in a big ball, like Katamari Damacy with just like a bunch of wings <laughs> hopping in various different parts of the table. Um, and as one flyerant explodes on a six, that kills like two flyerants around it, and then another flyerant that got hit and died from that explodes. And so we had, I think, two Malaks and three flyerants all explode from one dead flyerant that end up taking about half of the board's wings away all in one turn, which was pretty great. Um, the the exp- there was kind of a chain reaction of like seizures going through the the hive mind, like oh god, and the other one uh, set off a seizure, and the and so basically they just kind of ended up dying through mortal wounds to each other. And at the end of it, uh, just I think through attrition and through close combat, I ended up having more left on the board than he did, which allowed me to end up taking that game with like 39 points or something along those lines. So that was my Jeez. day one. I ended up going 4-0 with uh, you know, almost max points. But again, max points isn't really representative of how close those games were. But Sean <clears throat> Nade round two, that was a hard that was, that was, one that was, game. That was a really good – that was a really tough game. It was a really good game, yeah. So do you think – do you think that if maybe Sean Naden had brought some more, well, basically my question where I'm getting at is, um, do, do Flyers never have to worry about Eldar at all? Or is there any Eldar builds that can beat Flyers? Do you think? No, no, I'm actually Brad Chester in day two. I'm kind of spoiling ahead here, but he had a very typical Unari list and he came quite close to beating me actually. Um, so I uh, no, I think, um, Especially if you play very cagey and very intelligently, Eldar can definitely represent a threat to Flyrants. It's just that that particular build for Tyranids, and, and Jeff, I'm sure, would have, probably have some wisdom in this as well, I think is probably the most threatening to Eldar because Reapers are really good at killing Flyrants. But if you can deal with the Reapers, which seven Flyrants usually can, the rest of the list is not as scary. Can, can yeah, Shining takes... Spears... Well, it's just incredibly, like, the the usual tools like you're talking about, like, if they can get Doom off, if they can especially get Jinx off and remove any invul that's a dead Flyrant, the problem is Terranids have all the tools to make those things a little bit more of an RNG simulator, so they have the denies. There is even minus one to cast a lot of the times. Yep. Um, Kronos makes it hard for them to get out Exactly. If they're taking any Kronos at all, then it becomes, you can actually almost cancel out one of those powers. Um, And then there's the vulnerabilities, right? So, like, Eldar can oftentimes trade out a unit of Dark Reapers for maybe a Fly Ramp, but that's only if they roll hot and you roll really cold. Um, and then people are like, no, you can, you can, uh, the stratagem where they actually fade and whatever the fuck it is. But th- those run out too. You have to remember, like, turn three or whatever, it comes down to the equation of, like, my Dark Reapers now being traded for a single volley towards a Fly Ramp because they will 100% die uh, the next time, you know, anything looks at them, basically. And those hard equations are not what Eldar are used to. They're used to being crafty, fast, and, and avoiding. But Flyrant's 16-inch movement, tough 7, 4-up invul, they just tend to be around. Yeah. <laughs> it's really There's, hard. The Flyrants have the board control the entire game while the Eldar are trying to crawl their way out of a corner that they're forced to go into so that they don't lose the tools that they need to kill a Flyrant. And right. to answer your question, Shining Spears are not as effective as you'd think at killing Flyrants. Um they have a lot of shots, which actually do better than them actually charging in close combat because Shining Spears are, you know, two attacks each at strength six at AP minus four that do two wounds each. So you need fives to wound. You only have two attacks. And, you know, you can buff the ever-living shit out of Shining Spears with Enhance and, you know, all this other, all the whatever, Enhance, superpower, bullshit 
voodoo hickey nonsense that Eldar cast um, to make them, you know, wound more and have more attacks, but they're not as effective as Dark Reapers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had nine Shining Spears charge into a flyer and do like four wounds. Um, cause they're, they're just, they're just not as effective at killing it. And then of course the, the, the tyrants are like, Hey guys, have the gun, buddy. Uh, we got, uh, we got close combat. I don't know why flyers talk with this accent, but we're going to run with it. We're going to, we're going to charge in here. We're going to punch you in the face with our in, no invils, uh, cause uh, we don't want to shoot you to death. And, and the shining spears just lose that combat. They just do. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and fast forward to, uh, Jeff's day two. Um, Jeff, how were you feeling at the end of day one? Were you feeling pretty confident? Well, it was actually kind of a funny experience because I literally, so so round four finishes and people are coming up to me and they're like, hey man, there's a, there's a chance you qualify. Because I was three and one, I'm not four and oh. So if you're four and oh, you're pretty much guaranteed to go in. I think as it turns out, you were guaranteed to go in. But at three and one, there's like a chance. Um, and I had three forties and then one seven point, which is not the highest loss. Um, and there was a couple people that had like ties and high losses. So I'm sitting there looking at the score and some of these motherfucking Warhammer players take a long time to finish their games. Not <laughs> us custody players. Okay. We finish about an hour and 45 ahead. So That's right. I just sat there and looked at the, looked at best coast pairings and was just watching as I'm like, wow, they're like, Jeff, you're in seventh. Good job, man. I'm like, Hey man, thanks. Hey, Jeff, you're in 8th. Good job. I'm like, yeah, dude. What, you think you can make it? I don't know, man. Hey, Jeff, you're in 10th, dude. Do you think you got a shot? I'm like, I don't know. Shut up. And then, like, it just kept going down. And then it hits 16, and no one's saying anything. And I'm just, you know, at this point, I've been disappointed enough times in my life that I'm just kind of like, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I, I felt like I played good, but I, I ultimately lost, so it's my fault. But I did. I slid in at 16, and, uh, you know, we had this funny you know announcement ceremony and talking about okay here's our top 16 come back tomorrow and play and, and that's all fine and then i had the realization that i'm probably i'm like hey does 16 play number one and they're like yep and i'm like fuck i'm playing nick Nanavati, which like you know he's he's just one of the best out there and his list is one of the stupidest things you've ever seen in your entire life uh, <laughs> i would have like an okay chance against it but it would be a, a mega uphill battle obviously just on the list level nick's uh, far and away more accomplished and superior general but I wasn't looking forward to it. But then I saw my good old fucking friend, one of the nicest guys you can ever play a game of Warhammer against, Matt Shuckman, actually, just through strength of schedule, was the number one player. So mm-hmm. I went to sleep knowing I was facing Matt Shuckman. And the nice thing to, ask, to answer your question, Pablo, is like, was I nervous? Was I excited? Uh, it was kind of all of the above just because I, I love the thrill of high stakes Warhammer. So I was very excited about that. But... I love one of the best experiences. One of the things that's going to keep me coming back forever is if you play a competent, solid general that you know knows their rules, they know yours, they're not pulling any shit, they're not rolling dice behind a building or something like that, and the best guy in that game is going to come out ahead, that's Matt Shuckman. So I was like, I'm going to have a great game of Warhammer tomorrow, and I'm, I'm just fucking ecstatic. Then I looked at his list, and then I became even more aroused because this guy took Terranids, which is cool. Terrans are great. He had five Flyerants. I get that. They're fantastic. But then he filled out a lot of the rest of his list with two seven-man um, warrior uh, death spitter bombs, which is, like, really cool against Eldar. Uh, it's pretty okay against some other stuff. But the idea behind it is it comes in, it puts a lot of strength five shooting out, uh, or strength, no, it is strength five. 
Um, and it ignores cover because it's Yormunder, and if you have the Warlord, he gives a bubble of ignore cover. So, you know, you're killing a lot of uh, pretty light Eldar stuff, I guess. And then they all had Bone Sword, so they can get it done in close combat as well. But against me, against my bikes, he's he's wounding on fives. I'm getting a three up save, and then, and that's it. And it's only twenty one shots each unit, you know. So it's the math came out that they were completely ineffectual. And Matt was a really good sport about it because uh, he kind of knew this going into it. Um, it was an uphill battle for him. He played a great game, but at the end of the day, um, and I, I should talk a little bit more about my list for those uh, the listeners, I guess that don't know my list but it's a custodes battalion so it's got three units of three custodian guard spears um just just run of the mill and then it's got a unit of five veritas praetor um bikes uh and these guys all have hurricane bolters then three shield captains which i typically run with the two relics so one has a three plus plus and one has a three plus plus with a rerollable charge and then this tournament i was experimenting with giving victor of the blood games to the third shield captain so spending a shit ton of command points, but making them into little gods of war. And then I have a the, the guard um, battery of forever command points. And then I run a Imperium detachment of a Calexus, Eversur, Calidus, and then a primary uh, Primaris Psyker. And so that's my list. The reason I mention this is because the Calexus was and has been an absolute must-have. If, if anyone ever runs a Custody list, you're either going to pay that auxiliary to have the, the one Calexus in your list, or you're going to find an Imperium detachment and cram it in there with whatever else, you know, whatever else it is you're spicing up your list with. But in this game in particular, it was, it was the difference between a dominant win and a very difficult, perhaps, loss. Um, just the ability to... Because, again, with beta rules, the minus one to cast Smite, for instance... Um, starts to come into effect, of course, and that helps. But when you kick it up to 11 by having it at minus two as well, Matt was reliably getting off like one or two smites as opposed to three, four, or five. And then he was having a tough time with his powers as well. But then there's also weird shenanigans you can pull too, where the Calexus was just like somersaulting and doing the splits and then like jumping in and dick punching a, a hive tyrant, doing zero wounds, probably the entire tournament, by the way. I don't think he ever killed anything. He was one of the most fun-loving, peaceful guys at the entire tournament. But what he did do was he greased his whole body up and just slid around whoever was trying to fight him, and nobody could touch the Calexus. It's the funniest thing. Never gonna catch so, me, guys. I'm gonna the get whole away. time. And it's it's funny too because people, I guess, like it, I don't know, uh, maybe they didn't encounter them in seventh edition, but every time they're like, "It's sixes to hit in close combat too," and I'm like, "Yeah, dude, all the time." And they're like, "Oh my god," and they just never could do it. So. Against Matt, it was a big deal, and then the bombs came down. I charged into him, blew them up. You know, Matt played a great game, but I was able to to kind of win that one out. Yeah. And then the next game, I'll just take two seconds because it's just bullshit right and left. You know what I'm saying? Like Nick Rose, luck box, mother trucker over here. Just but you know, no, I'm just kidding. He wasn't even using all the rules either. Oh, he's so funny. So <laughs> this guy, this guy shows up here. He's he's like, that's my ETC list. It's the seven Flyerants and four Molochs, and then you know, shit all mines or whatever. Uh, apparently he played the entire tournament not re-rolling to wound with monstrous rending claws um and there's a moment here where i'm gonna i'm gonna put this out there and this is gonna lose me some support i understand that but i'm also kind of <laughs> i'm not entirely sure how i feel about this so he swats at me with the first flyerant right so we get in our game and his flyerant attacks me and he like okay three hits all right uh two wounds and he like looks up at me and i look at him <laughs> 
<laughs> there's this moment where he's like two wounds and i'm like it's it's just there it's just in the back of my throat where i'm like nick you get to reroll to wound dude but what comes out is okay i'll make my invulnerable saves and uh <laughs> I don't know. I feel kind of like a dick because uh, I probably should have told him. But but my my philosophy here is it's like round of eight Adepticon. But also, if I'm being honest with my girls here, this son of a bitch just took Terranids and didn't know the fucking rules to him. So I'm a, I'm a little bit like, uh, I guess this is a hard lesson to learn for Nick Rose. But then, the, the, then this is where I become a true jackass. I understand. So people are not going to like me. But then he drops the Molochs in. And I see him measuring meticulously. He gets out like his uh, monocle and he's got this little three inch thing. And he's like, okay, so I'm three inches from this and I'm three inches from that. And I'm like, Nick, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm telling you what units I hit. And I go, it's not three inches, bro. It's two inches. And he's like, <gasps> he's like, no, it's not. I'm like, Nick, do I look like a guy that doesn't know what a Moloch does? And he's like, oh my God. He looks it up. So... If you got Moloch by Nick Rose, I'm sorry, but we can all kind of join hands and also recognize that he wasn't rerolling to wound with the rending claws. So I think it balances out. Uh, and he's such a nice guy that it's, of course, fine. So he just bops me. My big mistake, I, I felt like I had a good game plan, but my big mistake was I allowed my Calexus to be um, Moloched and he did three mortal wounds to it. And then put in like 24 or 36 shots from the flyers and it just was enough to obviously kill it um i i think i think obviously if the collexus wins it's not one of those moments where i go oh i would have won totally no but the game would have been much more manageable because for the rest of the game he was just flying around smiting me and um every time i failed an invul you know a bike or two would go down actually i i ended the game with two shield captains and five uh veritas praetor bikes still alive but nothing else so uh that was a problem and nick won yeah, it, it's um going back to the custodes and their anti psychers. Um, I I get what GW is trying to do with um making them a, l- a little bit more durable in the psychic phase because they mm-hmm. they on a six they ignore mortal wounds in the psychic phase. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I just feel like like uh GW hasn't really been balancing that evenly among armies. Um, because the GW the custodes stratagem that lets you deny powers. Um, I Huge. think it's only like a twelve inch range. It's it's yep. not it's it's not a long range at all. So so I think if you're running custodians, I think you need Kalexis assassins um, because mortal wounds are gonna really fuck you up. I, I I will just upgrade the comment if it's not clear at all. I let me just like lay it out. If you're playing custodians and you're not running a Kalexis, you better bring your beer. You better bring your pretzels because you're gonna you know you're you're that guy. You're gonna have a great time. You have such a beautiful army. What a great. <laughs> You are such a great opponent. <laughs> Thank a, you so much. Who's a good tournament player? You are a good opponent. You're a good tournament player. Thank you so much. Oh my god. Exactly. Good... Good. <laughs> that's that's going to be the the feel. And if you can win without that, that's great. But as the tournament advances, you're going to have yourself. You're fighting an uphill battle. Uh, and like I said, feel free to pay the auxiliary minus one command point. Especially with custodians, is hard because they don't have access to a lot of command points. Even I mean, if you do the guard thing, of course they have more. But with bad dice, that doesn't end up being that big of a deal. Um, you just need the Klexus, 100%. I really hope that Nick Rose at some point during the weekend used the stratagem for Flyerance so they can reroll the wound in close combat. Just completely needlessly <laughs> spent that command point it's like, oh, shoot, to I make a reroll. And someone's like, sure, buddy. <laughs> no, but a good, 
kind of off the side um, thing for people to kind of key in on. And I'm sure a lot of people saw this, but the wording on uh, pathogenic slime, I think it is, where you just do do, you do two wounds instead of one, is it just says at any time in the shooting phase. Yep. So kind of a cool thing with Flyerns is you'll take your pot shots. Like, let's say you're shooting, for instance, a rhino. Uh, it's got tough seven and a three up save. So the likelihood of you doing a lot of damage to it's not very high. But wow, look at your dice. You rolled five wounds and holy cow, wouldn't you believe it? They failed three of them. Instead of three damage, after they fail those saves, you go, okay, I'm going to use this uh, stratagem. And now it's six damage. And that's a big deal. So that's kind of a nice little tidbit for the Terran players out there that we were getting hit by at this tournament. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't like doing that because I think that's kind of misinterpreting the rules. But I, I will. It's a hundred percent raw that you can do it that way. I had people do it to me. It's it's quite. I don't gross. feel bad about that. I mean, I think it's more powerful than they intended, but it's it's not like a weird reading. It just says at any time in the shooting phase, which is no, no. It's pretty. Clear. I agree. Yeah, it's a hundred percent clear. I just I have this I have this image in my head of like they shoot these bullets and like they go yeah. inside and then like oh god my armor broke and then the 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 tyranid is like acid powers activate and then like yeah. it just becomes like a super powered bullet inside of his body or something like that he's like yep. Ooh, I can only do that sometimes though <laughs> and I think it was Shuckman that got me with the the really weird stratagem which I I looked at in the codex and kind of scoffed because I wanted it to be better but the like, if you do a wound with a weapon and the guy survives, you use this stratagem and they just die. Oh, um, implant attack? Yeah. That's or a really... Like, that stratagem is sick. I love that, that stratagem. That can be so dirty. It's so it dirty. is. It's way dirtier than I thought. Like, I, I realized my mind is more gentle and, and peaceful than I thought. Because when I looked at it in the codex, it was like, eh. I was like, when's that ever going to happen? But if you have, like, shield captains and shit, man, oh, it it's happens. So good. It's so good. It's yeah. like, fuck, he's almost dead. He's got a wound. All right, one CP, he's dead. Oh. Wop, 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 wop. I've done that to, like, Celestine, Gilliman. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's so sad. It's really good. It's I love that Tyranid Codex. It's, it's a good it's codex. A, it's a very good, good codex. Such a good codex. Codex So much fun. It's a great it's a good codex. codex. I think it's more just to wrap up with my custodians, I guess, and I'm sure you'll have other questions or whatever, but just uh, they were great. They're really, really good, and what I like about them is that they're a little bit tournament immune. Um, they're very good at Adepticon, but I've been playing a lot of ITC. If you have cover, great. If you don't have cover, they have a built-in 4++, so like the worst save you're taking at all times is a 4++ against you know conventional weapons, that is, not mortal. And then they have okay shooting. They have very specific shooting. They're, they're very good shooting against like uh, tough 3 or tough 4 or bad save stuff. Um, not very good shooting against anything higher up than that. And then their close combat's pretty cool, but they do absolutely suffer against Flyrance in particular. Rerolling to wound on the charge is nice, and that's where I got a lot of my damage done. But if they couldn't really cripple a Flyrant, and they, on average, by the way, would not kill a Flyrant on the charge. Like, mm -hmm. not with four bikes, not with three, not with uh, with five. It was, it was more of a, a close gamble there. It came down to their saves, but... Flyrants are a pretty rough matchup. The way I was able to beat the other Flyrants was a, you know, kind of combination of getting a couple of those Melta missiles through, charging individual Flyrants, and then kind of throughout the tournament learning. Uh, I, I used to be like, you know what? Shield Captain Red and White, you guys go take on that Flyrant. The <laughs> other guys will go take on this one. And then at, at the end of the tournament, I was like, no, everyone, everyone kill the one Flyrant. And if you could do that enough times, right. then... It would it would kind of work yeah. a little bit there. 
Yeah, uh, shield captains, their absolute weakness is mortal wounds, which is why you take your, and uh, your little your little handy dandy. Oh, I mean, what do maliceptors do, Petey Pop? Mortal <laughs> wounds, they baby. Do, do mortal wounds. It was, hey, you set yourself. <laughs> the mortal wound knocked him from seven down. Yeah, that maliceptor, Mally set herself up. up. That's right. Just eat him up. He knew what it was doing. The he's whole like, time she did. He's she like, did. I'm going to give you a ray of hope before I crush your dreams. Oh, man. So the stories are really good. They're really fun. I had an absolute blast with them and still have been. I think um, I, I've seen a lot of people take lists very similar to mine. I think it's a, a very – and then I got asked a lot too. They're like, what are you going to do to change your list? Nothing. Um, waiting for the FAQ like everybody else, so we'll see. Uh, some people are like, they got to change shield captains. I don't think so, and I doubt that they will because, yeah, they're added to lists, but I think that's what they want, and I don't think they're tearing it up too terribly in the scene, so – and if they are, I need my fellow custody players to start losing more because I don't need that shit um, nerfed. Uh, but I think what they do kind of, not necessarily struggle with, but what just kind of the natural cadence of the game with them is you want to take elements that you can count on scoring. So for me, that's the assassin attachment. The Eversur jumping on a unit of Nurglings or Scouts and then replacing them on an objective is a big deal. The Kaladus just sitting behind a wall all game long just getting you... Um, some objective or two, and then of course Kalexis being so hard to kill because custody units are bullet magnets. You've oh, yeah. never seen an attraction like this, and do not count on them to survive because if they've survived, that means they've killed your opponent, in which case scoring is not really an issue. But in most close games, those guys are dead. Um, so you should have been scoring with something else. So if you're writing a list, and I see this sometimes, they're like, yeah, I took. I take 15 bikes. It's like, okay, well, all your games are either going to be you killed them, and that's cool because you won, or <laughs> you got killed. And I'm going to tell you, towards the end of the tournament, you're going to hit more and more matchups where the bikes have a tough time. Yep. Did, that's true. Now, Jeff, did you ever feel like like the um, the troop choices, the Guardian Spears, did you ever feel like they just weren't pulling their weight and you wished for like a cheaper troop choice? No, I. this is going to sound... Well... I am like fanboy number one of Custodius, so I guess everything I sound I say sounds like this, so it is what it is. They honestly are the secret sauce to the list because nobody it's really funny. The bikes attract all of your attention and as long as I'm not playing like an idiot, it takes you at least two or three turns to kill them. And they get their damage, they kind of get their exchange. It's almost never an unfair exchange between those guys. But the entire time my custodian guard uh spear units are marching up the field. And they get it done, man. Nine attacks, hitting on twos, oftentimes reeling ones. And then with the stratagem to do plus one to wound. If something is tough five, all of a sudden, or tough uh, seven or more, excuse me, it becomes I'm wounding you on fours, minus three, D3 damage. Uh, they're just amazing. They're really good. Um, they do have weaknesses because they're tough five. So like hive guard kind of mow through them. Um, but otherwise, they're very durable. I, I never one game did they not absolutely kick kick ass for me. And I'm being serious. Okay. Um, <clears throat> how about the guard? The guard detachment? Uh, I think, yeah, so that's, that is a place I would evaluate. I think you don't sink that many points in it. I do like mortars just only to deal with, you know, oh, there's your there's your rippers on that objective over there, or, <laughs> or I want to soften up this, this unit or that, but you can honestly run that completely minimum, and um, I think be pretty happy with it. Anything that blinks at them, they die. But when they're paired with custodians, it's really funny. Almost nobody shoots at them. Um, and one of the critiques against my list and, I, and what I would tell people to to beat my list 
you actually need to put, uh, albeit negligible, but still some damage into guard because they just fold over. But they're the guys that have fanned out and are doing area denial and sitting on objectives. Um, it's not even Kurov's Aquil and Grand Strat, just like They're harder to get to because they're characters, obviously. But, you know, infantry units, you just put a couple of heavy bolters into it or whatever, and it bo- it mostly goes away. Or it's a trap for me where I'm like, do I want to spend command points to keep them around? And if I do, it's kind of bad. So it, it's great for what it does and how cheap it is. But if it got more expensive or um, they modified the way, you know, Kurov's Aquila or Grand Strategist works, I wouldn't take it. Okay. Cool. So there you have it, guys. If you guys want to run some Custodes, uh, run... Collexus Assassins, uh, Guardians with Spears, and, of course, Shield Captains on bikes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least one Collexus. That's that's the part that, like, above all else, I feel very strongly about. If people are like, I don't like custodian guys with Spears, it's like, that's fine. But if you're not running it with a Collexus, you're just... It's a huge liability. Uh, I, I like Collexus Assassins Eagle, baby. in pairs. Um, okay. Codex Don Eagle. Uh, just, just uh, I, I know you say at least one. Um, but I would always say at least two, because um, one is never enough for me. But that's just me personally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do I know? Yeah. Either. Uh, yeah, it's true. I apologize. Um, <laughs> he did so well, you know, against the the Meliceptors. <laughs> I got to throw it back at Pablo a couple of times. <laughs> that's true. Pablo, that's true. He definitely. Pablo dropped the people's elbow on me a couple of podcasts ago, and I. He's still talking about it. Ooh, He's I didn't hear about, about this. Come on, catch catch me up. I gotta hear uh, this. So so I'll say it from my perspective, just to speed things along. <laughs> Um, essentially, I, I said on the podcast that I was as good a 40k player um, as Jeff was. Oh, PD. And I, I think I think in my hubris, oh, PD. Um, I didn't I didn't obviously hindsight is 2020. I didn't I didn't foresee my Adepticon performance. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I still stand by my statement. I think that Jeff is is a better player than me, but I don't think he's that much better than me. That that um you know like the distance between. Him, him, and I, and uh, Sean, Nate, and, and him, I think are are lower. I, I have this image sense. now of Jeff listening to this podcast. He's just rolling. He said he this care. like He's at two thirty, at like two thirty in the morning. It's dark. No one's up. He's just dicking <laughs> around on the internet, and he stands up, rips the shirt off his chest, and says, "Challenge accepted." <laughs> Apparently, gonna... it was all he could talk about at the Arizona team tournament. Yeah, so. I believe it. You know, he just shows up to Depcon. Hey, Pablo, how'd round one go? No. <laughs> he wins round three. Hey, no, Pablo, how'd, how'd round one go? No, he, he was he was very gentlemanly, and when and when I did when I did well in X Wing, he he was like, "Good job, boy." You did good well. job, boy. Oh, boy. I don't say boy. My God, <laughs> good I'm job, like this big filthy like farmer from the south or something. Good job, boy. He was like, "Good job, champ." <laughs> <laughs> did he give you a little slug on the shoulder? Like, he did. nice he did. try, I felt, buddy. I felt pretty happy. I was like, oh. Yeah. Oh gee, you did so good. He gave you a participation trophy. Thanks, Dad. I trust our listeners to know what's real and what's not. That's all. I'm <laughs> so, so congrats, um, son. You tried. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Mo- Maliceptors to are tough. <laughs> Mo- moving on. By the way, congrats on the top sixteen, Jeff, or the top eight yeah, actually. Top eight. Yeah, um, thanks. But uh, moving Which on. Pablo to Matt, almost got Matt's to. By the way, uh, <laughs> uh, actually. Uh, <laughs> You know what? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> but um, Matt. So let's move on. Let's move on to your day two performance. Um, now going into it, I know I know you you yourself you don't get very frazzled. Um, so I know you're probably just feeling like confident slash I'm probably slightly hungry and tired. Um, like your usual self. Definitely uh, hungry and tired. Yeah, but 
Um, going into it, were there any matchups you were worried about playing Flyers? Um, I mean, I think looking into it, I knew that playing other Flyers was going to be tough. Um, <laughs> largely dependent on um, skill of the two players and how we built the list. Because when you have a mirror list against a mirror list, it comes down to things like who went first. Comes down to thing like who made better four up saves. Comes down to things like um, who you remember your rules. Yeah, do you remember to reroll the wound. You know that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I have to give a little shit about that. Um, and then the other list that I was not uh, excited about playing was Nick Nadavati's list, um, hmm. which is loads and loads and loads of obsec troops, um, because I knew that that was going to be a very tough matchup for me. To say I dreaded anything, no, but I also wouldn't say that there was anything I was like, easy matchup, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. There was nothing really like that. So I, I was just I was just happy to be in the top 16, to be honest. I was just pleased to be there. All right. So let's talk about your first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, who'd you play? Uh, first game was against a buddy of mine who is uh, also from the Midwest, Trent Northington, um, who brought a nice little uh, imperial soup. Uh, which was, I think it was four uh, Codex Don Eagle HQs, um, you know, the captains on the bikes. Um, there was a Blood Angel Supreme Command, which had, oh, excuse me, no, it, it was a battalion. It had three squads of scouts, um, and then it had Mephiston and two of those Blood Angel captains with Storm Shields and Thunder Hammers, you know, the murder captains. Um, and then it had a brigade of guard just filled out with cheap stuff. And so the list had something like 14 CP. It rolled whenever I used a stratagem. It rolled whenever he used a stratagem. So it just had loads of CP. Um, it had loads of bodies. And it had, you know, of course, really killer characters. Um, and so I approached that table knowing that uh, the guard, you know, aren't really scary. But he has way more ability to screen the scary stuff than I do. I have rippers. And I... Um, I don't, I don't, uh, really do, uh, that much to get past a screen. I mean, I have a bunch of shots, but you had, he had something like, I don't know, 80 guardsmen or something like that, which is more than enough to prevent me from getting to his guys. So I knew it was going to come to basically who could dictate the terms of engagement in close combat because those blood angels captains, um, you know, they have the strategy where they can deep strike. They can roll 3-6 to get in. They can spend another command point, so they have an extra D3 swings. If they die, they can swing again. Uh, he can also make them attack again. And they do three wounds each, and they have plus one to wounds. So those things, those guys are hitting on threes, rerolling ones, wounding on twos against Flyerants, and doing three damage each. They're no joke. They're really scary. Um, and they have, you know, a three-up armor, three-up invul. And then you have Mephiston, who is also similarly murderous in close combat. And you have, of course, the, you know, Don Eagle captains who are also murderous in close combat. Um, I approached that game knowing, however, that the thing that was either going to kill me or not was going to be those characters. And so even if I didn't, wasn't able to necessarily kill guard, if I could deal with the characters, I can uh, take down the rest of the list after the fact. So um, basically the way it came down to it is I, I deployed all my flyers on the board. Um, I think a lot of people fall into this trap where if you're going to go and play against, um, if you're going to play against guard or other things like that, you sometimes want to deploy all your stuff 
because he has scouts and he has loads of bodies. He can take control of that board with move, 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 um, and with you know his scouts infiltrating really quick, in which case you end up deep striking in the ass end of your battlefield a million miles from his deployment zone, which can really affect you in a progressive mission or end of game mission. So I deployed them. Uh, he had way more drops than me, knowing that I had an advantage to try and go first. And if I can go first, then cool, I can try and charge up, try and get a couple of the guys in close combat, dictate the, the terms of engagement at that point, which puts me in a massive advantage. And if I don't, well, he was going to have the chance to charge me first anyway, um, because, you know, he had screening and I was not going to be able to deep strike in a way that uh, I could actually get a charge up on his characters because he just put loads of guard in front of them. So knowing that I, I had nothing to lose, I literally deployed all my stuff on the board um, and ended up going first. And moved up in such a way so that I was able to shoot the guard mostly in front of him, not do anything meaningful to any of the characters, but then charge like one or two of the custodes captains and uh, one of the, um, I think it was like uh, Mephiston or something along those lines. And the point of that is not to kill them, but to prevent the Dawn Eagle captains from being able to reroll to wound. Because if you charge them, now they're strength six, but not rerolling to wound. Now, I have the terms of engagement, and from there, he has to react to me as opposed to um, being the one who gets to choose, you know, charge everything into one flyerant. He has to spread his forces across multiple flyerants that are in combat. And so from there, it kind of went downhill. He was losing characters faster than I was losing flyerants. And by the end of the game, I, he had lost all of his characters. I had wiped all of his guard off the table, basically, and I controlled the majority of the board. Mm. Um, his characters um, just... You know, it's kind of like Jeff said, you have to pour a lot into one flyer to kill it. And if you start losing characters because you have to spread them out between multiple flyers to save your characters, then it's a losing battle. So do, I ended you, up winning that one. Okay. Okay. Do you think maybe if if he had gone first or if maybe – um, uh, do you think he could have played differently? Because it sounds like he's actually got a good list to beat flyers. Um, it's, 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 it's got good tools to beat flyers. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Sh- Flyerants are pretty tough, so I don't know if he has quite enough characters to do it, but he definitely has the, the right kinds of characters. If okay. he had gone first, it definitely would have been an advantage in his favor, but I don't think it would have made much difference between me deep striking and going second as opposed to deploying on the board and going second. And it would have come down to if I made saves. Um, I could have uh, made four-up invuls. Uh, I think the one mistake he did make was he deployed all his characters on the line in a way so that if he had gone first, he would have been able to charge a bunch of them into my flyers. But because he didn't go first, that allowed me to charge his characters instead. If I had been Trent, what I would have done is I would just said, I don't care if I go first or second. I'll deploy all my characters so far back that your flyers can't get into me. You can shoot some guard and then a turn at the bottom of turn one, I'll charge into all your flyers with one, just or with just one or two of your flyers of all my characters. Um, and so he gambled, and, and, it, and it didn't pay off in this particular case. Um, definitely it would have been... I, it's hard to say if I'd gone second. I think I have the four bimbles and the resiliency to withstand his characters because um, he's only got you know five or six of them that are scary, and he can kill a couple flyers, but I still, still think it's an uphill battle for him. But on the other hand, at that point, he's actually controlling the board, unlike what I would, when, me go, when I go first. Okay. All right, so let's talk about game two. Game two was against Brad Chester. Chester. Yep, Brad Chester. Um, Brad Chester took your really typical Unari list. He's got Reapers. He's got uh, M. Wade Serpents. He's got, um, you know, Farseers with Doom and Jinx and all that sort of stuff. He's got Shining Spears that are Unari. Uh, he's got Guardians that Deep Strike. Um, and this is actually the only game of Adepticon where 
terrain came into play because there was a giant rock, um, just a boulder <laughs> that was on the board that got stuck in the corner that Brad played really cagey with. He's like, well, I can either, he walked to the table, he's like, well, I can either try and kill you, which I'll lose, or I play cagey and try and win. And <laughs> that's exactly what he did. He, he stuck everything behind the rock um, and deployed his rangers out for infiltrating. And then uh, basically from there played really cagey. He hit his reapers as best he could. He did fire and fade. So they'd walk behind the rock after firing. Uh, he would try and uh, limit my line of sight with the flyerants based on how he deployed. He played it really intelligent. But, you know, the Molochs and the flyerants um, rolled well enough with their deep striking and explosions uh, of dying. Uh, he actually lost a couple characters to a Moloch, like twitching and exploding on its death to killing a couple characters. Uh, it came really close, actually. Um, he killed, I think over the, he killed, didn't kill much on the first turn, but over the next couple turns with his Reapers, he was able to delay me getting into his face, again, because of that rock and because of his appro- appropriate deployment. Uh, he ended up killing like four Flyerants over the course of the game and all the Molochs, um, but he ended up losing his Reapers eventually. He was down to like eight at the end of the game. He actually kept them alive to the very end of the game. Um and he lost his Shining Spears and all of his troops and that sort of stuff. So I essentially had board control. Um, and I think if the game had gone on indefinitely, it probably would have been essentially a mutual wipeout. Um, but I had him slightly on points in terms of things that had died. I got lucky with a Moloch exploding and killing a couple of his characters. Um, uh, the terrain made a big deal in that, in that difference, which is one of the reasons, and you mentioned this early, Pablo, um, that I talked about Seven Flyers not being as good in ITC. Um, the, that kind of terrain makes a huge, huge difference. Um, so it was actually a really good game. Played really close, came really close, um, but I ended up pulling that one out uh, just because I ended up controlling the board more so than he ended up doing so. Okay. And then third game, you played a mirror match. Yep, Mr. almost Mr. almost Mr. exactly a mirror match. Yep. Uh, again, he had the double shooty flyerants as opposed to seven close combat flyerants. Um, I had the advantage on him because Nick had just picked up this ar- I've been told... <laughs> That Nick just picked up this army literally right before Adepticon, and, and I, I kind of laugh. I, I have to give Nick a little shit about this. Uh, he he he. It was not terribly uh, uh, hard to pick up on that because he didn't know his claws ruled a wound. Uh, he'd take like a six-up feeling of pain on his Molochs that were like ten inches away from his planets. I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> well, I'm making my feeling of pains, you know, for live. And I'm like, "Yeah, he's way over there." Oh yeah, I get up, I get up. It's only in six inches of your synapse, dudes, bro. <laughs> oh, and then, <laughs> the first time I was in combat, I punched him with my rending claws. I'm like, okay, rerolling the wound. All right, I got a six, and he's like, why do you reroll the wound? I'm like, what do you mean? Why do I reroll the wound? Did you use a stratagem? No, I. They're monstrous rending claws. Monstrous rending claws don't reroll the wound. Yeah, they do. Like I ended up. <laughs> I, well, it's I, actually I, better than that because I was sitting there watching. And he looked through <laughs> and he goes. He says, Jeff? Yeah, Jeff is yeah. watching this whole thing. I remember yeah. this now. And Jeff's like, I don't feel that bad. You kicked my ass, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you didn't need him. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty good. Um, and, oh, my Molochs went insane in that game. My Molochs had a vengeance because uh, I took a cheesy, stupid list, but I played Flyer. I played Tyranids for years, uh, years and years and years. But they were like, this, this is a poser. 
We opposed the poser, and the the Molochs came in and hit like five flyrants and did like three wounds, and then three wounds, and then D three wounds, which turned out to be th- three wounds, two wounds to the next mo- uh, to the next player, and then one wound to the mo- like one f- one Moloch came in and did something like fifteen wounds combined to a bunch of different flyrants. He went berserk, and uh, and so it basically came down to positioning and rolling of saves and. Um, I knew the rules a little bit better than uh, than Nick did. I knew a couple tricks a little bit better than Nick did, which is not this is not at all to say Nick didn't play intelligent. He was a great general. He played it really well. Um, it is as I said though, when it's a mirror match, it comes to small differences. And I knew the codex a little better. I knew some tricks a little bit better. Uh, and I, uh, I I I also I also went first, which is a big deal in that game because again, it allows me to kind of uh, move up the board. And shoot out a bunch of uh, his troops, and then try and dictate from that point the uh, the terms of engagement. So uh, that game, I ended up uh, pulling out a win as well, uh, just by eventually wearing him down and beating his troops out. All right. So you you beat you beat Nick Rose, you beat Brad Chester, you beat Sean Naden, you beat Trent Northington. Um, so you've already gotten that's a impressive resume for a tournament. Very um, impressive. So you're you're playing Nick Nanavati. Yep. Um, and I, I need I need to know firsthand, uh, how what's the what was your game plan for this game? Uh, because I I do remember Nick being very confident going into that final game. I talked to him yep. right before he was he was very confident. Um, yep. he had just played Steve Pamprine, uh, similar but but definitely different chaos list. Yep. Um, Steve's a phenomenal player, and Nick Nick beat him handily. Um. So what was your game plan going into this event? What what are some of the strengths that you knew about your list you for handling cultists and what were some of your weaknesses? And most importantly, what was the mission? The mission was a really straightforward it was end of game objectives. There were three of them. One in his deployment zone, one in the middle of the board, and one in my deployment zone. Um that was worth like I think there were ten points worth each. Uh secondary was kill points, like every hundred points you killed of your opponent's army is uh worth one point and then the tertiaries which is stuff you know like slay the warlord or pick line breaker that sort of stuff and i knew as i've already mentioned walking up to the table that i was at a pretty serious disadvantage but i was just elated to be on the top table i had been at the top table once a couple of years before actually that year i had played against nick and ended up beating him um and so i was i was just happy to be there but i knew it was going to be an uphill battle Nick's list is a is a classy example of what I kind of did was he built for the tournament. It is not a list that's meant to table you. It is not a list that's meant to uh, kill your models. It is a list designed purely, wholly, simply to play to the mission. And as I've said already, the mission at Adepticon is objectives. Every single mission, the main points, 30 points of the 60 you can get, is towards objectives. So if you can win objectives you can literally win every single mission at Adepticon. And Nick is a phenomenal player. Um, So I knew that he had the advantage because he had way more board control than I did, even if he didn't have the tools to necessarily kill me. Um, He has the skills to absolutely beat someone um, who's playing an army that's at a disadvantage versus him. And... uh, and you know, I mean, it's just it, the the mission again is just not in favor of me. the The tools that I have to beat him is I have way more mobility than Nick does. I can actually kill things, unlike Nick does. And um, I have uh, 
the ability to be scary in every single phase of the game. I'm an aggressive list. Nyx is a tricky list. A lot of people look at you know, his Poxwalker list and think it's very dumb and very boring. There's actually a lot of finesse to the list that may not necessarily be apparent when you look at it. Um, it relies on combat tricks, piling in on things, knowing how comp charges work so that you can charge in one way but move the complete opposite direction, piling in in a way so that you can gain movement from your piling ins. These are things that are crucial to know how to play if you want to be successful with Nick's list, which is why there were people who brought Nick's list but weren't as successful as he was. Um, the fact that I that he will pay for every combat that he stays with me in, the fact that he cannot hide from my shooting, the fact that even in the psychic phase I have him beat, um, is, is something that really diminishes his aggressive output and his ability to um, kind of wear me down. And so I went into this game with um, basically one of two options. If I went first, I was going to go for a Hail Mary. And if I went second, I was going to try and tie him up and just try to push him back as best, best I could and try to win on secondaries and tertiaries and just try to contest, hold one objective in my deployment zone while literally having a wall of flyerants in front of the middle objective so that he may be controlled two, I may be controlled one, and then try to get more points of killing because I, have, I, have, I, I was going to be able to kill more than he was in that game. Um, okay. Knowing that, I walked into the game... Uh, deploying all my flyers on the board because he has no shooting besides cultists. Um, cultists can be scary, but not enough that I would be worth deep striking. Um, and so uh, I deployed all of them on the board. He won the roll to go first and I attempted to seize. And the reason why I attempted to seize is because Nick deployed in a way that I saw an opportunity to go for a long damn shot, which is to shoot all his pox walkers. I ended up seizing. Um, Nick deployed a line of sing a single squad of poxwalkers, 10 man in the front of the board and deployed another two squads of poxwalkers on the very, very edge of his table. But with a 16 inch movement and an advance, I could get my flyers in shooting range of all of his poxwalkers. Now odds are when you advance, you're at minus one to shoot, even with seven flyers, even with psychic powers, even with charging, um, with a few of them into the ones that are directly in front of them, I don't kill 30 poxwalkers. But if I am able to pull that off, the game is over right then because Nick truly does not have the capability to withstand seven flyerants over five or six turns, killing cultists left, right, and center. He has Abaddon, he has Typhus, and he has Demon Princes, but those are not enough to take on seven flyerants, and those cultists will be worn down. The poxwalkers are really what makes the list scary. Um, I went for the Hail Mary. I shot as much as I could. I ended up killing all but two Poxwalkers. And from there, I knew it was going to be a really, really damn hard fight. Um, I want to uh, point out throughout this game that Nick was really a gentleman and a scholar. We had a really tight but really friendly game of 40K. Uh, I played Nick twice. Uh, two times has been some of my favorite games because there was no rules arguments. He could declare that I was doing something. I was like, that's fine. I understand. And, and to give you an idea of, you know, the kind of level of, of sportsmanship that I think Fire 40K should be, and to speak to testament to, to Nick's character, um, at one point, uh, he, at, after that turn, when I shot his pox rockers, he was down to two. He was very excited, happy that he had two left, because that's all you need. And he started moving models, and he realized, oh, shit, I forgot to activate my stratagem to make pox walkers grow and to make them so they couldn't be shot. Um, and 
you technically, if you do that out of order, or you can say, sorry, dude, you skipped that. You missed your chance. But I didn't want a repeat of LVO, and I didn't want to win that way. Uh, you're not you're not doing the game any favors, and you're not doing yourself any favors doing that. So I absolutely let him do his stratagem and activate, which of course meant that he got like a hundred poxwalkers over the course of the game. But yeah. there was a two way street. I mean, th- this is Nick at around game turn four. Um, we were running out of time, um, and Nick was at an advantage at turn four. But we both knew that the longer the game was going to go on, the worse it was going to go for him. And we had about like, I don't know, 10 or 20 minutes left. And I, uh, Nick, you know, agreed to basically continue playing out through turn six because he did not want to be that guy who won on slow playing. Not not to say that Nick slow played. He didn't. He played it very fast, but you can only move 300 models so quickly. He didn't want to be the guy who won Adepticon because he, the time in and out moving 300 models. He didn't want to be the guy who won a game against me because of, uh, because we didn't finish the game at, you know, the appropriate amount of time. Nice. And so that that was the kind of game that this was is you know we both made concessions and because of that uh, it was a it was one of the best games of 40k um, both tactically speaking and in terms of just how close it was. So what happened essentially to kind of give you the breakdown of this is that after I shot the Poxwalkers, all my Flarents are right in front of his line. He has everything on the board except for the Zangors. All my Rippers and all that mines are in the back screening, and at that point. He activates his Poxwalker stratagem. He has something like 14 CPs, um, and he starts moving up. He moves his Demon Princes up. He moves his Armon. Uh, he kind of stays back a little bit. He moves Abaddon up. He moves Typhus up, and he charges, literally shoots and does a few wounds here and there, but he literally charges literally every single unit of cultists, every single one of them, into all of my Flyerants. Um Wow. And the, and the trick, the issue that I have at this point is I can either... A, overwatch and kill some flyerants, or excuse me, kill some cultists because I'm going to have to wear through them eventually anyway. Or B, um, not shoot, which means he won't get poxwalkers. And the uh, the impasse that I'm at at this point is, do I want to try and avoid killing as few of his models as possible in an effort to try and snipe out the rest of his poxwalkers? Or do I want to try and kill through all of his cultists knowing that he'll lose bodies and gain them in poxwalkers, but at least at that point he'll be losing cultist bodies. Um, it's, and, and there's not really a, they're both shitty options, but I decided to go with killing the cultists in an effort to try and make him drain CP. Um, and so I went all out, started killing cultists, started shooting it. His poxwalker blob, of course, exploded. Um, and basically my flyerants throughout this entire game are literally dancing around in his deployment zone, blocking the further movement of all of his cultists forward, shooting cultists where they can, denying powers. He's charging his demon princes. He's charging in his um, his Abaddon and Typhus, and they kill one or two flyerants, um, but uh, they're 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 dying faster than the flyerants are. I have to hide my warlord because he had only two wounds left, and he's worth a couple points because I had he had like slay the warlord and stuff. So I hid the warlord in the back, um, and so like basically it's five flyerants kind of holding the front line, killing cultists, and he's losing cultists, but he's also losing CP because every single time Nick has to spend one CP to you know make the poxwalkers grow one CP so they make him can't shoot. And then he's also spending CP on things like, oh, bring back a cultist squad. Oh, um, you know, I'm going to try and make the this cultist squad shoot again so they can shoot down a fly rant. 
And I'm doing this and kind of trying to bait Nick into using uh, stratagems as much as I can because the only way I'm going to win this game is if I can just try and whittle him down out of Poxwalkers. And so these Flyerants are taking advantage of what I said they needed to be, which is being killer in every single phase they can. They're killing in the psychic phase. I'm smiting as much as I can. I am punching and shooting things every turn I can. And he charges in his Poxwalkers eventually at one point because he has like 80 of them into the Flyerants. Um, and I think this is one of the mistakes, the very few mistakes that Nick made in this game. He charged all of his Poxwalkers into all my Flyerants. Now, the reason Nick did this is because he wanted to get movement out of his Poxwalkers because the charge is basically a free move, especially with the pile in. But seven Flyerants punching into Poxwalkers actually kills a fair number of Poxwalkers. You're talking about four attacks plus a tail each. So five attacks, there's seven of them. That's 35 attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on threes, most likely. And they're doing D3 wounds each. All those attacks are. And so if you have, you know, 35 attacks, hitting on twos, wounding on threes with D3 wounds each, that kills roughly 20, 25 Poxwalkers a turn. Um, so he's burning through Poxwalkers, he's burning through Cultists. He's doing wounds to me, but not at a rate fast enough that um, it's that he's actually effectively wearing me down. And we get to turn four, which is the turn I'm talking about. Again, Nick still has massive numbers of cultists and poxwalkers, but he's effectively out of CP. Um, and, it, and if we had stopped there, Nick could have just moved on objectives and probably won. Um, but we played out through the next turn. And in those two turns, essentially, of time where I have another, he's out of points to do CP for poxwalkers. He's out of points to do, you know, bring back cultists. I'm able to whittle down the rest of his army. And by the end of turn six, by basically just literally moving Flyerance and blocking him, I'm able to uh, keep him in his own deployment zone, prevent him from moving in the middle objective, literally through, through literally using a wall of bodies of Flyerance. And he's down to like two cultist squad and like six pock walkers. Um, he had one chance in that game to try and pull a win out of it, um, other than ending on turn four, which is he deep struck his Zangors in my backfield in an effort to try and kill my hive tyrant with the warlord and kill the rippers because I was preventing him from getting back there and he needed a eight on the charge. And even with a CP reroll, he failed that charge and they died to a bunch of flyers shooting them and smiting them. And at that point, uh, because he failed that charge, uh, the game was kind of essentially over at that point. Wow. So at the end of turn six, uh, basically just came to a lot of, a lot of movement and uh, blocking that happened and just essentially whittling him down through attrition. Um, it was it was a really really good game. It was really close. Nice, sounds awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> so, what was the final score? Uh, I'm not sure. We ta- okay? Did we tally it up? I don't I know. I controlled. We I controlled two objectives, which is 20. He controlled one, which was 10. Um, I had killed almost the majority of his army. It was probably like 1,500 points. He had killed, I think, like a flyerant and a Moloch or two. So that's Roughly 500, so that's 10 points, 20 points, and then I had more tier. Sh- so I probably got 40, but again, that wasn't really representative of how close the game actually was. Yeah, and um, uh, one thing I will criticize the Adepticon missions for, um, because overall I actually enjoyed them, um, was those 10 point progressive, or those 10 point end of game objectives. Yeah. Um, those those can be uh really they're polarizing. huge swings. Yeah, they're they're big. Yeah, they're huge swings. Um, but Congratulations, Matt. Uh, for those of you who want to know Nick's take on the game, I was just checking out his website, brownmagic.com. Uh, Nick talks about not only does he stream 
at tournaments and talk about tactics, but he also has uh, he offers basically his services to help people get better at the game of 40k. Um, I think it's a brilliant idea, and I can't think of anyone more qualified to run a website like that than Nick Nottavati. Plus, Nick's just a great guy. Nick is Nick, a great guy. He he really is. If they, if you could choose someone to win like five Adepticons or something ridiculous like that, it should be Nick. He's he's a good man. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, and he almost won five or four Adepticons. I think you stopped him from winning his fourth Adepticon. He was he made it, he was joking about it later on. Actually, um, at the end of Adepticon, he's like, "I'm 46 and two at Adepticon, and both of my losses are to Mo- losses are Matt Rudd." <laughs> Damn, he would remember that too. Yep, you're you're his Kryptonite. You're his Adepticon yeah, Kryptonite. That's right. But 46 wins. He's only had two losses at all the Adepticons ever. That's crazy to think about. That is that is insane. He's definitely Mr. Adepticon. Yep. Um that's his tournament. So, uh moving on to let let's talk about both of your lists. Um so let's take a step back and um analyze the elephant in the room and that the cultists and flyers. Mm-hmm. Um they are going to be hyper analyzed in the near future. Obviously, Games Workshop is working on an FAQ. Um and I would imagine that that Dark Reapers cultists and flyers are are in their crosshairs so matt uh if you were to talk to gw they haven't released their faq yet as of recording this episode which is monday the 2nd of april um if you were to talk to gw and tell them what to nerf what not to nerf just judging from what you've seen out of the competitive scene um what would you tell them i think i think character spam including flyers needs to go away um Certainly, seven flyers is a little ridiculous. It's it's. I'm not gonna. You're not gonna hear me disagree with that. It needs a list that needs to be reduced, or flyers need to go up in cost, or you need to be able to not take more than three flyers or something along those lines. I could go on about how other HQs in the Tyranid Codex could probably be better, but that's kind of beside the point. Um, but it's not just that. It's things like you know, there are people. I I mean, I played lists that had four captains on jet bikes and then three Blood Angel captains surrounded by just a plethora of guard i played another list that had you know two lists that had seven players i played you know there's just lots of lists that just have characters hiding behind a screen of stuff the character rule is important because it allows things to hide but it's a little extreme in how much you can hide and just have chaff in the front and then let all the characters do the heavy lifting um so if there was a way to limit that limit the number of characters you could take or just make it so it's less effective in terms of screening. I think that would be a good step for the game. I, I agree. Um, I think that the thing that made Seventh <clears throat> Edition so unfun was the lack of interaction in a game. Um, you know, you had these unkillable Death Stars. You had these Eldar that would shoot a billion times before you got a chance to shoot. Um, and then battle companies just felt like punching a brick wall over and over and over again. Yep. Um, obviously, all these lists were beatable, um, but the point is, is it wasn't very fun. Um, and I think in 8th edition, there are less lists like that. There's definitely a lot more interaction between lists and players. However, the two big things now are are uh, character spam, um, specifically abusing that character rule, and horde armies, which I think are still a big problem. Yeah, spam um, in one form or another is an issue, to be honest. Yes, um, and especially in 8th edition, where things are a lot more lethal. So when you start spamming something continuously, just the, the amount of, just the simple math of killing things with by spamming something efficiently just becomes astronomical and um, unfun. So 
you mentioned um, earlier that that uh, actually at Adepticon, so way earlier, uh, that you felt that Flyrants weren't that good in ITC, right? So do you think that first off, I want you to explain why, um, and also do you think that maybe that's cause enough to maybe not nerf the Flyrants so much, maybe just to limit characters and then leave Flyrants alone? Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. So, in a sense, I kind of agree with your uh, term of saying that Flyrants are a boogeyman. Uh, they were great for Adepticon. I knew they were going to be. There's a reason that they succeeded so very well because of Adepticon's format. But the reason that they're not as good in ITC, in my opinion, the reason I would not take seven Flyers to ITC is because of the few minor tweaks that ITC does to their missions and also because of the way that ITC tweaks its, its tertiaries. And what I mean by that is this. You have tertiaries that you pick in Adeptic, or excuse me, in ITC that are way more significant and the tertiaries that you pick at Adepticon. You get a total of 12 points from your tertiaries. You know, three three tertiaries you pick to four points each from ITC. Um, and 12 points goes a long way towards winning that mission. Whereas in Adepticon, you have uh, objectives, which are primary. You have uh, kill points, which is secondary. Those are 50 points. So when you before you get to the tertiaries, which really are kind of easy to get kind of regardless of what army you have, you're talking about a 50-point difference. Whereas in ITC, games are often won with maybe 30, 40 points. 12 points can go a long way towards that. So, Flyrants really suffer from that. Uh, they suffer from Headhunter, their characters. If you run seven Flyrants, if someone kills four of them, that's four points. They also suffer from Big Game Hunter. If you kill four Flyrants, they have 10 more wounds. That's four points. And if you kill a Flyrant who's a Warlord, He's you know, very four points, you get a point, so that's three points, and he's a warlord, it's an extra point. So by killing four flyrants, one of them being the warlord, you can maximize all of your tertiary points in an ITC mission, which is a lot. That's a really big deal. <coughs> not not to mention the terrain at some of the larger frontline gaming events. That's the other um, reason. The big the big ruins. Because yep. flyrants can't see in them and then they can't charge in them, so they're that's yeah. That that's another big difference. Um okay. ITC missions has the ruins where uh, you know, you draw walls and you line sight block. I mean, there's nowhere for infantry to hide at Adepticon. There's no ruins that, ha- I mean, they didn't use the first level is blocked line of sight. There were windows in every single one of the ruins. There's nowhere for hive guard to hide, which is why I didn't bring them. But there's also nowhere for reapers and that sort of stuff to hide too, which is why Flyerance excelled so much. But if you start putting a lot of line of sight block where infantry can hide for a few turns so they don't suffer the alpha strike of a deep striking Flyerant, or if you can put them in an area where a Flyerant just can't get to, then those things start becoming a hell of a lot more valuable and Flyerants become start having some serious weaknesses where you have to take other units to make up for their shortcomings. So for those two reasons, seven Flyerants, in my opinion, is not what I consider a good list for ITC. It will definitely crush certain types of people, certain types of builds, but I think it is a very one-dimensional list that still that suffers greatly when playing someone like Jeff or Nick who takes a well-balanced list that can hide from the strengths of the the, the Flyerants. And Adepticon, you can't hide from a Flyerant shooting a Custodes bike out in the middle of nowhere, but a Custodes bike can go in a ruin behind a wall and be like, you can't smite me because you can't see me. Okay. Actually, can Custodes jet bikes, are they infantry? Are they infantry? No, no they're, not infantry. they're not infantry, but they can hide line of sight. Yep, okay. They're small. Yeah. They can put them That's behind true. a wall. Except for that giant spear tip. That's oh. true. So... They're just compensating. It's fine. 
<laughs> uh, uh, all right, Jeff. Um, I have a, I have another question for you. Um, this isn't yeah. so much regarding the FAQ and more of just the state of the meta. Um, so we're gonna enter uh, LOL, uh, a 40k doldrum, so to speak, of um, of just no tournaments until. Uh, I guess maybe you could count Broadside Bash down here in California, though I don't. I wouldn't count Broadside Bash. But we're not going to have a big major tournament until the ATC. Um, and then even then, that meta is not going to be representative of the 40k meta as a whole. Um, so We are offending a lot of big tournaments, but go ahead. Well, well, and I'm not, and I'm not saying... The London GTs in May, my oh, brother, man. man. The London it's a pretty GT. big tournament. The London How do you GT's know? You're not, you're, you're not as good as a competitive player as, as <laughs> That's true. I guess it's not as big for Pablo, you're, you're, but for other people. You're, you're right, Jeff. For us lower players. <laughs> you're, you're right, Jeff. Uh, historically, historically um, before the London GT um, became this big monster that it is now um, in the past, there was usually a big lull between Adepticon and ATC, though not the case mm. now. You're right, Jeff. We're getting 40K coverage year-round. It's awesome. But my point, my point, it still kind of stands in the sense that we're we're going to see some changes from this FAQ, uh, and then no big changes are going to happen until the summer. Yep. Right. So uh, we're going to get all our codexes by then, I think. And a lot of them. How do you? Where do you think smaller codexes like Custodes, Grey Knights? Um, uh, trying to think of another. What's a codex that Space Marines? Death Watch. Death. Well, Death Watch. Death Watcher. They're in their own special spot right now, but uh, where do you think they can compete? <laughs> where do you think they will? Where do you think can they compete now? And do you think there's anything GW can do to make them compete in the FAQ? Um, that's a great question. Um, as far as like some of these codexes go, I think there's an interesting element of like gauging what you're interested in doing. So would someone? gravitate towards gray knights because they're like this is my best chance to win the lbo 2019 or whatever probably not uh i would not go that route do i think this feq will help them tremendously probably not and i think what's kind of funny about warhammer and tough is there's always these babies with a bathwater, right like i think of um i think of thousand suns and i think of uh Zinch when I think of what they did to Smite and how it just kind of it was overall incredibly good for the game but it was after they had already designed those armies a little bit around more effectively smiting right um, so we all kind of agree that this was a good change for the game but then when we look at those codexes we're like oh wow you got a 24 inch smite that's good for like three of them and then you're kind of starting to dry up a little bit but that's the gimmick that your entire list is like built around um I don't know what lists are necessarily going to be like what what you could say about the smaller codexes after the FAQ because we don't know what the FAQ is. So I don't have a whole lot to tell you. I would just tell you my my wish list would be, and I don't think they're going to do this because no one's talking about it. Um, but I think Supreme Command can go away. I don't I don't see any list, be it Grey Knights or all the way up to the top like Eldar that that mega depend on Supreme Command. I see Supreme Command being one of the main culprits for where the spam really comes from. I don't think it eliminates it, by the way. I think no matter what you do, a Warhammer player is going to sit down and be like, damn, there goes that form of spam. Well, thankfully, I have this over here, and it's always going to be that way. But if you can reduce some of the, the main culprits, I think it gets a lot better. I would love it if in uh, if tournaments required that you take a battalion. I don't think that that would hurt a lot, a lot of people, but I think it would make list building a little bit more interesting uh, and less spammy. Okay. Very, very good answer. Um so as the champion of 
the rundown faction and custodes and actually other factions <laughs> in general are you going to switch over to gene stealer cult are they are they going to be your next big big target uh i mean this sounds kind of like a cop out cuz it's i think what everyone tries to say they do but i honestly i play what i think is really cool and then i try to win with it and custodes are just fucking gorgeous models still i think they're the coolest models we have in the game you don't have to agree with me i just think they're ridiculously cool and then playing them is so damn fun um i oh i've always been a terranid player and that was because ever since i was 12 the aesthetic of terranids has just been incredible and awesome um so i have a gene cult army and if they make that codex really fun and it's it's a little bit more reminiscent of how they were in seventh edition where people were like, oh shit, Gene Seer Cult, because that meant that meant like a different game. Like all my games started with two hundred guys surrounding my opponent. And it was like there was a lot of RNG. It was not the most consistent army. You know, if you don't if you don't roll fives and sixes uh, very well, then you're gonna have a tough time. Um but but the games where certain stuff did go your way, it just felt fun because you're throwing legions of like scary close combat but ultimately glass cannon dudes into your opponent. So if it's something like that, yeah, I will absolutely play them. And I have a lot of confidence that it will be because all these codexes are so fun and good. Um, and if it's half as good as the Dark Eldar Codex in all in uh, all aspects, then I'll be very happy. But for right now, I'm Custodes, and that won't change unless the FAQ comes out. And they're like, if you painted your army gold, you have to shit yourself before every game. I'm like, all right, well, oh. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay, what if it's a light shit, though? You might, you might be willing it's to go a little that sharp. Yeah, it's a little sharp. Yeah, I love them that much. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably do it. I mean, it's it's like I dude, if I played an army that pretty, I'd probably be over it too. Yeah, as long as it doesn't create rashes, I'll probably do it. That's fair. No, but I mean, on a serious note, no, I, I'm 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 loving it. Um, every codex that comes out is adding something new. I'm really fun. I'm really excited for Tau to add to the mix here as well. Um, I do think the FAQ. I don't have a doom and gloom feel about it. I think you're going to see some. I hope they do the right thing and do like point adjustments. Like I don't think Flyrance necessarily should be limited i think the the commander nerf that they did was in my opinion not the best way to go about doing that i agree that commander only lists were really not fun and stupid and kind of diminished what tau could do but i would have rather had seen things receive a buff and tau commanders receive um, probably a significant hike in points so that you still want to take a few of them but you're paying for them, right? I'd like that. I'd like Flyerance to be a little less good and other HQs to be a little bit better. You know? I just, I don't think they'll do it. I, I, I too, I, I swore that I would take Swarmlord in all my Terranid lists. Yeah. And if they made him a little bit better, then yeah. I would feel like I'm not handicapping myself by doing that. But I don't think they're ever going to, I mean, I'd love to be, to be wrong. I'd love I'd, them to I'd, revisit Swarmlord. I'd love that too, man. I feel the exact same way. All right. I think Flyrance should probably be about 10, 15, 20 points higher. I think 20. that and maybe Monstrous Renning Claws should also cut their zero right now. I think they made a Broodlord way cheaper because I know that's incorporated yeah. as cost. Yep. And then make that weapon actually cost something. Um, but, I mean, like, you look at I mean, the Neurothrope and Hive Flyrance are good. But otherwise, it's just like, I mean, it's the same thing with Blood Angel Captains. If you can take a dude for 140 points, which can murderate just about anything in the game in yeah. close combat... Why wouldn't you take it? Why would you take and that's, a librarian? Right. And and that's what happens. Because, like, the Broodlord is actually okay. But like Matt says, and I fully agree, at 162, a little bit too much. 
Um, but but it's not even it's that he's too much. It's that when you compare him to something else, for like 30 points more, you get a flyering. Yep. It's different universes. They both can cast psychic powers. They have similar, if not better, damage output because you have the range option as well oh, for yeah. the flyering. And then the durability is hilarious. A Broodlord only has the character rule that keeps him alive. Otherwise, he's a four-up save with a five-up invul yeah. on a tough five model. He just dies yeah. almost anything. There's just some weird internal balance on certain codexes when it comes to comparing characters. And when you have efficient units that are just super efficient, like a Flyrant, or like a, a like literally the only thing a, a captain on a Don Eagle jet bike doesn't do well is a psychic face. He, he puts out a really nice amount of shooting, even though it's limited in what it can do. He's great mm-hmm. in close combat. He has fantastic movement. Uh, it, it's just Obsec. like... Yeah, but why would you take that over a walking dude with, like, terminator armor or something? Right. Like, no. what, there's no point. And that is the problem. Like, you're not going to see uh, Trahan in list as well. He's he's awesome. He's got really fun rules, but he's 250. And like Matt was saying, his mobility is a lot less. So for, a, for like, similar damage output and 90 points less, you're getting a Dawn Eagle sh- shield captain. So you're like, okay, that's not really a choice. And then the walking shield captain, what does he offer you? He's just less points. And and he's in another sticky situation. He's an Imperium model, too. Um, this is something I think GW could probably do a better job in, is, cross, is um, cross-examining like Imperium and Chaos units specifically to each other and, and internally balancing those factions, right? Because if uh, the, the Custodes guy, he's 250 points, but Celestine with both her chicks is also 250 points. It's like... You know, in an Imperium detachment, like you're going to take Celestine almost every time, yeah, right, because she just mm-hmm. does so much for your army. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and to some degree, you're never going to be able to fix all this. By that's the way, true. like that's the beauty of our game. There's so many codexes, there's so many armies. You're going to have these things happen. I think you just have to. What I do like and, and has me hopeful for the future of Warhammer is they've already announced there's going to be you know regular FAQs. There's going to be chapter approved, so we are going to be able to look at this stuff and take a, a look at it. I, I do think the other thing we should we'd be remiss without mentioning, um, and I loved Matt's segment on talking about why in the ITC flyrants are more problematic because that's absolutely true. We need to call upon tournaments to take a look at these balance and, and, and this kind of stuff as well, and, and feel free to add stuff to your mission. Uh, broadside bash feels like they don't like the Imperium soups and the Chaos soups, so guess what? You can't do it at that tournament. Is that what every tournament should do? Probably not. But you should, if you're listening to this and you're a tournament organizer, feel free to start to add that kind of flavor because I think people will celebrate it as opposed to run away from it like we did in 7th edition where people were like, I don't like knights, so no knight titans, yep. said Mike Brandt. <laughs> Mike Brandt! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. But um, more of that is okay is what I'm saying. Right on. All right, guys. Jeff, Matt, thanks very much for coming on. Are there any plugs, anything you guys want to... Shout out before we close off the show. Matt, you go first. Hmm, what do I need to plug? All right, Matt, that's been great, man. Thanks so much. And uh, no, <laughs> I got nothing, man. Pablo, tell me something I need to plug for you. Uh, well, What's... Matt, if you guys want to know more about Matt um, in the future, if you guys want to hear him more, he frequents the 40K podcast first. Uh, he is on tons mm. of podcasts. Matt, kind of a uh, podcast whore. Her, you know? Yeah, he, he is a bit of a podcast whore. Um, he's not a cheap one. Uh, I did have to pay a pretty penny Old to get him handy. on the podcast. Uh, handy. He got he got some Yikes. he got a couple second handies from the secondhand shop, um, which right. is a frontline gaming plug. Uh, and Jeff, if you want to listen to more of Jeff, you can go to his Twitch page, 
Well, just, I can plug myself. Oh, you know, why don't you plug me. yourself, Jeff? Well, you, you just thought he was a better plugger as well as a better 40K player. That one I had to step in. I was like, no, nope, <laughs> on this, on this, I believe I have I, I think you, you're the, advantage. the belt there. Uh, thanks for having me. As always, Pablo, Matt, always a pleasure talking with you. It was cool hanging with you at Adepticon. Um, for me personally, I'm still waiting on the Dark Eldar Codex. There's some kind of weird shipping thing. So as soon as that gets in, I will be putting it up on my YouTube, which is just in control TV on YouTube. I've already done the Tau and Necron Codex. And I'm going to be doing some, I'm going to be revisiting old codexes doing it as well. It's an evolving format, but it's mostly just a top-down looking at the codex and me giving my thoughts on it, which I keep mumbling about wanting to keep it short, and then it goes for like three hours. So if you want to check that out, you can see it there on YouTube. Otherwise, I will be joining a lot of these frontline gaming folios like Frankie and Reese and um, some others at the London GT in England, the Queen's country. Um, oh, so we're going to go over there and check London. it out. It is called London, and uh, we're going to try and have our hand as a, a a bunch of good old Yanks trying out those Euro Bros who everyone says is pretty good at Warhammer, but honestly, I think they just spam harder than everybody else. So we'll we'll go ahead and make see us, that. Make us proud. Do America proud, son. Uh, yeah, I'll and, do my best. And one final plug for the London GT. Congratulations to those guys for hitting over 300 people registered. Um, they might even be pushing 400. I, I know they're at max capacity. And hmm. uh, just it's just a great job that we're seeing tournaments, large tournaments like these pop up and break records yeah. all over the place. It's awesome. I think it's amazing, too. They did it in London where, like, you know, technology, food, uh, the people aren't as attractive. Just, like, Ooh. in general, education's Ooh. a lot lower. The humor's kind of shots. stymied many no, years Jeff's ago. Jeff's going to get Alex Harrison round shots, one. Shots, shots. And, uh, they, uh, <laughs> you know, they had Monty Python in the 80s, but since then, what have they done? You know, honestly, what is what has England really done? Well, uh, well, Jeff, back in 2016, they, they had a 40K LVO champion, you know, so they've got that going for them. Nice. Nice retort there, Pablo. Yeah. Uh, and then last thing I would say is I'm having the last of my custodies painted up by the beautiful Frontline Gaming uh, paint studio, and I will be smattering it all over my Twitter, probably make a video on my YouTube, but I highly recommend checking them out. I told them to make them pretty, and they're fucking gorgeous, so check them out. And you know what? I need to do I do need to do one quick plug, which is, you know, I think I think it's easy to get lost in this mess of flyrance, this, this gaggle of... <laughs> Of custodian Don Eagle Jet Bike Captains, this this batch of, of there's not of that reapers. many. <laughs> I think I think I think it's easy to get dismayed with 40k, and I think that if you find yourself searching, you know, on on a, that soul wrenching quest to find something where you can truly be the best and love yourself, play orcs. Orcs is the way to go. Green is best. You know, no one ever said, oh, man, that guy's running God's Ghoul. What a jerk. No one ever said Tank Busters, man. Those are OP. Golly gee whiz, I hate seeing trucks. <laughs> you know, I think I think everyone would be happier if we all just took a look at ourselves and decided, you know, I just want to have a good old-fashioned walk. Play Orcs. Be that guy. Maybe Gaz Gold Prime, though, huh? Ooh. Oh, Ooh. oh, oh, my little Orc boner. Oh, play, my goodness. Play, play Orcs. Go green. You'll never go back. All right, right, guys. This has been another episode of Chapter Tactics. If you guys want to have any questions, if you guys want to ask about Jeff's list, about Matt's list, or Adepticon or anything else, you can email me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. You guys are still the best listeners in the world, and have a good one. Love you. Bye!